Well, guys, we're back again. Oh, Lord. I kind of just wanted to stay up in uh, D.C. I did not want to come back. Hey, Nate, your football team stinks. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You are absolutely right. There's no uh, two ways around it. Uh, Welcome to the Illuminati podcast sponsored by Matrix Hormones. Matrix Hormones. Uh, I'll listen to my cues. Uh, Matrix Hormones. If you want to not be bad at things, if you want to get your energy back, if you want to be uh, the man you once were or the woman you once were, 813-333-2226. Again, that's 813-333-2226. Matrix Hormones. uh, They will get you tested and see what they can add to your life to make things better. Um, These are professionals who handle... um, Things such as testosterone replacement therapy and other therapies. That's not the only one. There's other things they can do for you as well. Um, but they will give you a consultation, get your blood work started, and see what would possibly be better uh, to make things good, um, to make you feel like yourself again. So, again, 813-333-2226, matrixhormones.com, and let those guys uh, give you a test and see how they can get, get things back the way they used to be. Be 2016-2017 USF football. Don't be 2019 USF football. 813-333-2226. That was beautiful. Thank you. Here for you. We said we were going to quickly recap Navy, and the reason we're going to do that quickly is because um, there isn't much to say when you get plowed like this. So um, 35-3, not competitive. Uh, in no way did I think that the team did um, anything that resembled any kind of progress or momentum kind of coming out of BYU. Jordan McLeod is clearly hurt. They played him anyway. Um, it looks like I would – are we all in agreement here that Kirk Raggle probably it gets the start? I mean, he's definitely going to um, play, right? I think he'll definitely play. Uh, from what I've heard, it's Raggle, but I wouldn't uh, – Put the Daily Stampede stamp of uh, facts on there. This is, not a Nate is, this is not a Nate is always right situation? Correct. This is Nate a, has a gut feeling situation. This is uh, <laughs> Nate's heard some things, but he hasn't heard it from enough people to make a definitive statement. Got it. Um, so I'm going to say this. Uh, if you get a chance to go to a game at Navy, go. It's an amazing, impressive place. The campus is beautiful. The fans could not be nicer. Um, you know, we had a little tailgate before the game with our friends at the DC Alumni Association. They did a great job. Uh, everything could not have gone great until the football started, and everything could not have been better after the football. Annapolis, I I went last year four years ago, but I stayed mostly in DC. I didn't really get around Annapolis. Stayed in Annapolis this time. It's a really cool, fun, tiny town. Um, but there's a great main street. There's stuff to do. The food, the drinks are great. It's, there's a, a piece of the harbor that goes like right up into downtown. We had a fantastic Sunday brunch. Apparently Sunday brunch is like a thing there. And there's all of these competing places. We found one that was fantastic. Really loved Annapolis. Really loved the city. Um, had been, I'd been to the, to, uh, Navy, uh, the actual campus of Navy, the yard before. Um, went back, you know, went to the gift shop, walked around a little bit, loved it. It's still great. Everything outside of football is fantastic. Um, definitely go to a game there. It's really, really cool. That's about the most positive thing I can say because I thought we looked unprepared, not very fired up to be there. I thought we played a kid who really couldn't defend himself very well um, at starting quarterback. God only knows what other injuries we're running out there right now. And, yeah, it's really, really bad. Yeah, uh, so Seth and I, we all, Seth, uh, friend of the pod tra- uh, podcast, Cedric, and I, uh, we, we all stayed at the hotel in DC and, um, really had fun. Uh, I think Seth had a great view of the Pentagon. And then I had, I, I had a great view of the, the street above me, um, because I was in the basement. Uh, my hotel room was in the basement, but it was nice. Um, we Seth and I walked around the monuments during the day, and then met uh, Cedric up at the Washington Capitals New York Rangers game. VIP tickets, free food, liquor, beer, alcohol. It was fantastic. And then the I think the thing that really made the trip was we went and did the monuments at night, and that is a life changing experience. It, there, um, as the kids say, it hits different. <laughs> <at night>. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> 
You are um, too old to say that, sir. Yeah, it <laughs> truly, truly am. Uh, but it's it, it's definitely an experience. Uh, we saw Notre Dame lacrosse, Xavier soccer, Purdue women's soccer up there. They were all, you know, checking out the sites before going to play their respective teams in the area. Um, Purdue soccer played Maryland soccer, and I think they lost two one or something like that on Sunday. But it was really nice. Um, saw the White House. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I would definitely go again. Um, literally uh, up until three thirty on Saturday uh, was fantastic, and then after like six forty five on Saturday was fantastic. Um, Reagan Airport, not great. It looks like a shithole. It is. Can't B- BWI also not great. <laughs> Yeah, but, but Seth, as everybody has learned, like I just I grabbed it because I had points. But like BWI, definitely the way to go if you're going to Annapolis. Like if you're going to stay in DC, obviously. But like the people that were going in and out of BWI seem to have a hell of a lot less trouble than the people going in and out of right. Yeah, it's like a thir- <laughs> I think it's like a thirty minute drive to Annapolis from BWI. Of course, I went to oh. DC, so it wasn't a, the greatest of ideas. But yeah, not not fantastic. Um, so we all went to dinner afterwards too. Cedric, Seth, Nate, and I, and some of my friends that had come into town. And we had a waiter who hated us because we made like a six top of ten top. <laughs> he just he was so snippy and short with us. And we were like, and we heard, oh, the food here is supposed to be really good. It was, eh, you know. And we we're like, all we're with Houston people. They're all trying to watch the game. It could have been better. I'm not gonna lie. Crab cake sandwich was fantastic. Enjoyed it. It was good. good. I had some raw oysters that were quite good. So, um, yeah, that went well. And then, yeah, and then you guys had to take off because you had to get back. But um, I really like it's a great little town and it's a lot of fun. And Navy is a great experience. And if, you know, now that UConn's out of the league, we might be up there every three years instead of every two or instead of every four. So it's more Navy road games, which is that's a win. Yeah, I want a Tulane road game. That's just my unbiased opinion, though. Well, we have to have Tulane. If we go to the pod system, we have to have Tulane be in our pod. That's just that simple. Like, I'm, there's no other reason. You, you stick the kids down the street with ECU, and we get Tulane, and that's how life should work. Amen. We're the cooler school. We get to hang out. We're the academically better school. We should get the academically better school to compete with us in our pod. We're always going to get stuck with the idiots up the street. There's nothing we can do about that. That's always going to happen. But we should also be able to get uh, Tulane as well. So anyway, um, I think we've covered everything outside of football. Um, do we even need to recap the football? Just that we like we can save it for film room, I guess, huh? Yeah, about the helmets. Helmets were cool. That uh, helmets were flames. Really good. The fans traveled really well. Uh, yeah. I was impressed by that. So that was good. Um, God dang, man. They they sent Jordan out to die. Uh, as he, there's no way he was healthy. I have a, uh, I have a question on that. Like, do they not have a training staff? Everyone, <laughs> keeps, saying, everyone keeps saying he's too unhealthy to go out there, but they have, they, they have a training staff, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I don't understand. Like, that's kind of where I, if he's like this poor, you know, is it injury? Which it seems like, right? Everyone kind of agrees. It seems like he's hurt. Um, but he's obviously here to play. It does not seem like he's hurt. And that's where I'm in an issue here. Like, it doesn't seem like he's hurt. He's hurt. I'm watching, you know, I, I, Cedric and I had some pretty good seats. And so we're like five rows behind the USF bench. And he's just trying to get loose on the sideline. I took some video of it. He can't even throw on the sideline correctly. The ball's coming out of his hand. But my thing is, he's cleared to play. Like, what's the threshold? (sighs) Which shoulder is hurt, I guess? Is it his throwing shoulder that's hurt? I believe it is it his throwing shoulder. It's yeah. definitely his throwing hand. That, I thought yeah. I thought he threw. I thought the first half he threw okay. The second half is like his first throws in the dirt. I was like, good lord. But I thought the first half was okay. But that's my thing. If he's this hurt, how, why? How is he cleared to play? And if he's cleared to play, you know, and then the coaches ask him, that's like the t- just the coaching perspective of it. Obviously, there's something going on, right? But if he's cleared to play, and then you ask him if you're all right, and he says, "I'm all right." That were, that that's, where it make, mean, that's where it makes it tough to. No, that doesn't mean he's all right. He, what's the player going to say? The player's always going to want to play. If he's cleared yeah. to play, that's the number one thing. If he's cleared to play and then he says, I'm okay. And then uh, now obviously if you see it and you're like, okay, he's not right. He's, you got to pull him. But, you know, it's not like he's, uh, you know, they're putting him out there where he hasn't been cleared by doctors. 
And that's that. I think that's the main issue. I mean, uh, Kerwin Bell said today or said uh, this week that Jordan had a minor separated shoulder uh, last week. Um, typically, that takes a little bit longer to heal. That's um, what it's like. Why is he clear? So I, I don't yeah. understand. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there was this. Uh, who was it with the Redskins or the Eagles or something like that? Maybe the Dolphins with an offensive lineman who was like, yeah, I, I have a torn labrum. I'm not playing through this. And the team doctors were like, no, you can play. You can play. Went and got a second and third opinion. And he's like, yeah, you have a torn labrum. You, you should probably get surgery for it. And it's like one of those things where the, there's the team benefit and then the player benefit. And you would hope at least in college that it leans more heavily toward the player benefit. Uh, but it, it seemed like it wasn't. Um, I, if, when it's when it's twenty eight three in the fourth quarter, like there's no point. There's yeah. no point. That's just uh, wrong. I'm sorry. I, I got I got a problem. I don't I don't have all the details in all the situation, so I hate you know blasting off like this because I don't have his medical report and I'm not a doctor. But all I know is that kid doesn't look right. He's clearly hurting. I saw him running towards the sideline, pulling his glove off and trying to drag his arm, and like it was third down. He didn't even know it was. He didn't even know it was. He thought it was uh, third down against the field. He had, it was. He thought it was fourth. It was third. He comes to the sideline. It, it was a nightmare. Um, I'm sorry. This is just not. It's not okay, man. Like if he's really this hurt, don't play him. So this is not good. I I, I don't even know what to say. I I guess save it for the film room. Um, so do we want to just get into? Uh, Charlie's contract situation, um, yeah, what was think, added on this week, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think we've kind of got to uh, address that. I think that's kind of the main point for this week. Uh, that is definitely not the game. There's really nothing to talk about. They got their ass handed to them. Um, Malcolm Perry's really good. You had to stop him, and you didn't. It's kind of that simple. Um, Coach Ken made y'all look like fools. And uh, you know, he said, that's the most dominated defensive performance I've seen at Navy in a long time. And it was. So congrats on that. Um, what I will say uh, regarding Charlie. So it, what was it? Monday, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, one of some morning, maybe it was yesterday. I, the days are blending together. USA today puts out their annual, uh, 2019 coaches salary. They do this in a massive amount of legwork to get every coaches, uh, they FOIA every single coaches, uh, contract that they can, you know, some schools are private. Some schools have, you know, DSOs and aren't, um, are protected from that, but it comes out that, and we should have known, and this is, pro, this is just bad form on everyone in the local media. We should have remembered. We should have remembered about the 2.5 retention bonus because Mark Harlan, it didn't say it like off the record. He said it in the media scrum right after the Charlie strong press conference. So we were thinking, okay, 2019, 2.5, 2020, uh, 2.6, 2021, 2.7. But we forgot about the 2.5 year three retention bonus. So he is now tied for 14th highest paid coach in college football, along with Scott Frost from Nebraska and Willie Taggart at Florida State. He makes more than Washington head coach Chris Peterson. He makes more than TCU head coach Gary Patterson and uh, oh, and Ohio State head coach Ryan Day. Charlie Strong makes five million dollars. That's a lot of money to give a guy who's lost 10 of his last 13 games. But it was a little bit of money to give a guy when you only paid a million dollars a year for year one, year two. So that's kind of how this came to be. This was sort of like the back end of that um, the deal that he had that only paid him a million dollars for his first two years here. Um, look, USF owed this money either way. They could have fired him you know, after five years or five weeks or five months, and they were still going to owe this money. So it looks bad on the books, and especially it looks really bad when you're in the middle of a you know a season where you're not going anywhere. Um, but financially, the we already knew about this. It's the same thing we already had on the books. We knew this was coming. You know, it is. I hate the is it. It is what it is. But it is what it is. So the other the problem that we also are dealing with here is that we don't know the complete terms of his contract with the foundation. Is this the last bonus? What percentage of the rest of his salary is guaranteed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, it, USA Today also put out or 
it put out a uh, you know which coaches are hardest to fire or a lot of buyout money and guess who was the lead photo on that that article? It's Charlie Strong. Um, the USF Foundation is a DSO. I mean we've gone over it. Their contracts are protected. They don't have they are not um, foyable uh, under the Sunshine Laws, but they do have an annual audit. And they do have to give some numbers out. And it was they reported as of June 30th, 2019, they had undisclosed employees buyouts ranging from $268,000 to $7.5 million. Now, there's only two people at USF who make more than Charlie Strong base salary on an annual basis. And that is your VP of athletics, Michael Kelly, who signed a, I think it was a five, five year, three point, one million dollar deal so it ain't him he's not getting his buyouts not double what his salary was that's just not how that works and then the other one is joel momberg who was on his way out as well so if it stands to reason that that 7.5 million dollar buyout as of june 30th 2019 is charlie strong now here's where it can get a little iffy charlie strong's contract runs january 1 to december 31 so as of June 30th, 2019, there's someone on the uh, someone's buyout of 7.5 million dollars, which means I don't think that 2.5 is included in that because it's already started year three. Correct me if I'm wrong, there, Colin. Sounds right to me. So it, according to that, it sounds like the total liability of the foundation is five million dollars henceforth. Agree? Uh, probably. It's what it sounds like. I mean, we're all guessing here. Um, yeah, this is not, you know, guaranteed information. But what I do know is that from what my sources have told me, and with people, you know, around the USF, <laughs> around the USF community have told me, is that um, this is not this money that was owed to Charlie Strong was owed to Charlie Strong, whether or not he was retained. It was called a, a, a what was the term that was used a retention retention bonus. bonus. Retention bonus. It was a retention bonus, but that was more for um, if he was just happened to still be here in year three. It's a retention bonus, but it's not really a retention bonus. You know what I mean, like yeah. it's just not. So, so this uh, this uh, kind of underscores um, the lack of foresight and care that former athletic director Mark Holland had. He had a pattern of this. Um, he, I think him and Charlie both thought, man, eh, he's not going to be here. So let's just do it anyway. And we all knew at the time, Mark was applying for every job in college. Athletics. <clears throat> I like, mean, this is no secret. Harlan's Harlan's extension was a, you better do something or you're going to be out here and your ass here pretty quick. And then I think it was like 40 years, 40 to 60 days later, he took the Utah job. He knew what was coming. Um, so it's, so we, we've got to, Frame it as such, you know, Judy signed off on this contract. Okay. It, Mark doesn't do it by himself, but he, there's a good chance he had a big hand in it. And what's crazy to me is I'm not entirely sure Charlie Strong has an agent. So he finessed Mark Harlan with one eye on Jerry Springer. <laughs> All right. So. Like, <laughs> If, there's no way. There's no way around it. I, if I think Charlie did this by himself, I don't know if he has. An, I'm almost positive he doesn't have an agent. He might not have an agent, but he might have an attorney to represent him in a negotiation like this. So, like, even if you don't have an agent, some guys will pay an attorney an attorney hourly to handle a contract negotiation like this. So that may be. Um, as far as Judy bad contracts, uh, this one's this one's a top fiver, but it ain't the only one. Um, you can go back and see some medical school deans and and some other contracts that were certainly very questionable um, from uh, other parts of the university as well. Uh, I'd also like to point out that we still have a chief marketing officer who wasted millions of dollars on a new logo. So, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of bad decisions that have gotten made here university-wide that haven't worked out so great. You're going to miss sometimes. I get it. Oh, look, it's your daughter. She's on the podcast. Can you say go Bulls? Go Bulls. There you go. That's what we needed to save the season. Yeah. 
Well, that, I mean, that's why she's still the header of our our blog, our blog Twitter page. The best. Are you gonna go hang out with us on Saturday? Yeah, she's gonna be. She's gonna be a beefs on Saturday. Say Rocky. Rocky. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> all right um all right so let's let's finish this out real quick uh yeah there, colin there's just no way around this this situation this, the bulls i think michael kelly knew all right well he's getting this 2.5 anyway we might as well make him work and going into the season i i mean everyone knows where i stood going into the season all right, they changed half the staff. They got the problem kids off the team. There's something here. And it just it just didn't work. And that's unfortunate. And I, I want to reiterate, I've said it a couple times on Twitter, Charlie is a great guy. He was, he's been much nicer to me than he rightfully should. Um, frankly, I would have probably beaten my ass already. Uh, so good for him. And he can take you. And let's, oh, man, and let, he would, you're a big, oh, you're a big dude, but he can, he can he just rock look. you. And you know what's funny? <laughs> he probably wouldn't even have to lift the finger because you know his po- uh, his bodyguard Pat Mora would do would handle his, the business. Oh Jesus! <laughs> no, you better keep that in. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you ever see Charlie Strong out, it, it, he has his bodyguard, and you don't want to mess with Pat either. Um, so. So they, they tried to make it work. It didn't work. And, man, uh, this Saturday could be a funeral of sorts at Beefo Brady's for our watch party. Yeah, so Beefo Brady's this Saturday. Uh, um, I'm not going to waste money to go to Greenville, North Carolina anymore. Um, why watch us get killed? On, you know, for all, I paid a lot of money last week to watch us get killed. Um, so I'm going to stay home, which means uh, – I'm going to be at the watch party as well. Uh, 20% of everything that you purchase will go right back to uh, thedailystampede.com so we can continue to send people on the road to ask the tough questions to go cover these games, basketball, football, everything we do, keep everything going. So if you can make it, we had a great time last time. It came down to a last-second field goal at Tulsa. Um, So it was a dramatic win against a bad football team, but it was a dramatic win. Uh, and the videos from that were great. We had, you know, over a hundred people out there last time, I think. So, um, we should be able to hopefully get something like that again. 3.30 kick, be there. 3.45. Um, 3.45. Get there early though. Buy more food, buy more drinks. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. Get there at noon. (laughs) (laughs) Get there as early as you possibly can. Um, and are we going to try and round up some, uh, stuff for like a raffle and things like that? Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll have, uh, two tickets to give away courtesy of Beefo Brady's and then, uh, we'll, we're working on some more stuff as well. Um, but hopefully some good things, uh, will come of it. I know it was a lot of fun last year. Ask anyone who went, we had a blast. Um, it'll be a good time. And, uh, you know, yeah, they still suck, but their, their years suck. So you kind of got to stick with it, I guess. And the other thing that we want to say here is, is that like, as much as we're just bashing this program, and I, this is a, a point that I heard from somebody on USF that, um, basketball, we're all going to feel better in two months because your basketball team's going to be good. Your women's basketball team's going to be good. We're going to get good crowds in the Sun Dome this year. It's going to be fun. We're, there is something USF that's going to go right this year. Um, and I'm, we're all in on basketball, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm excited for Seth's breakdown of uh, motion offense and to see what we can do. Um, <laughs> I'll start brushing up. <laughs> start work. Can we put Huddle? Does Huddle take uh, does got basketball. Take a yeah. Uh, does Huddle take a horn set so we can like really break down America's play and like yeah, you, know. you can put basketball on there. All right, we'll, we'll we'll show what we'll show what a zipper cut looks like, and uh, uh, I'm fired up. I, there's still redeeming things at USF. It's gonna be okay. Um, are we broke? Yes. And I don't know if if you're listening to this podcast. I hope you had a chance to read what I wrote yesterday about USF being quite poor. Um. Look, man, we have a financial problem. It's just dollars. And the, the bailout hatch um, has all gone to the medical school, from what I can tell. Uh, medical schools 
definitely the priority, building that huge building downtown, which will be a revenue generator for USF, a huge revenue generator for USF. But right now, it's way, way, way over budget. And the the rainy day fund and the emergency money that could be used to help out athletics to get through this rough patch, it's all going there. And so there's just not a lot of place for the Bulls to turn. So they got to turn to their fans and their friends and the diehards and the people that are really loyal. They need cash in the door, unrestricted cash in there. If you build, if you give it to the facility, that's fine, you know, one way or the other. Like, cool. But this facility has to get built because we're not going anywhere until we have a football facility. Because you can't recruit the kids that can make you a better football team until you have a, a, a place for them to practice that's better and a football um center where they can hang out, where they can, you know, pull together. This is just basic stuff in 2019 for FBS programs. We don't have it. And yes, sometimes our football team can't lift because there's a volleyball team in there or there's a women's soccer team in there. And that just does not happen at our level anymore anywhere. So we got to get this fixed. And that's the long-term solve of the program. The problem is, is we just don't have any money. So whatever you can do, Fundraising is always a pyramid and the people at the bottom, you know, if you've got X amount of people given 50 bucks, hundred bucks, thousand bucks. And, and I know, you know, from what I know, the people, some people read my column and, and the, the number I've, I'm at so far is like 2,600 and I haven't checked with anybody at USF, but like, like they've taken in $2,600 on that website as of uh, last night. And I, I haven't checked with anybody. So we'll see if a couple other, some more people donate. But it's about the floor, you know, and just having as many people invested as possible. Because if you get all of those hundreds and thousands of people at the bottom of that pyramid, then the people at the top have it's it's a better base to build upon. And it makes it more enticing for the people at the top, like the Les Mumas, the Suzanne Ward, the Mike Charleses, the people that can make seven figure gifts to the program. It's it's good to have that base because then they don't always feel like they're getting hit up for money. Right. And that's, I think that's kind of where the disconnect had been for a little bit there, um, where some of the donors felt like, why do you keep coming to me? You have hundreds of thousands of alumni. Go talk to them. Um, and they're, and they're, they're definitely tr- trying. Um, you know, Colin, I think between us, we've probably raised uh, probably close to $7,000 at this point uh, between our two little fundraisers. Um, so if they need some help in the developments, staff i'm you know we're here <laughs> the daily staff can do some things for you i did work in that department for five years from uh 02 to 07 and i i, I mentioned this actually up at uh at the annapolis thing they had a, a great event the night before at fado from the alumni association in annapolis and i'm walking around and I'm, I'm staying with some people i'm with some friends from houston um we got an airbnb together and uh so i'm walking around and i'm saying hi and hugging people and everybody and they're like, wow, you know everybody here. I was like, yeah, because these are all the same donors that were here in, for between 2002 and 2007. <laughs> and that's not great because <laughs> we got to make the pie bigger. We need new and fresh blood in the door. Yep. Um, and so that's the only way we're going to get to where we want to go. Um, it's not all old people, and there are some definitely some new people and some younger folks coming in the door, and that's fantastic. Um, but we got to get we got to get younger. We got to cast this net as wide as we possibly can. Um, and Nate, you said um, what? But seven thousand dollars between us. That's if we count some of the stuff we did for volleyball back in the day. We're probably over five figures at this point. Um, oh, for sure. You know, like all the stuff that we've done for. This. So, like, you know, we'll do what we can. But that's it's just getting that base as wide as possible. It's getting as many people to do whatever they can. If it's 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever it is. Um, your I just hate paid, blog would never raise that much money. Your hate blog would never raise that much money. I just paid off my life membership for the alumni association. So, um, I'm going to probably do something as well. Um, for athletics. Um, I had done stuff previously. I was like a green jacket donor when I worked here. And then when I left, I stopped donating and I just did some stuff for volleyball for a little while. Um, but I'm, you know, if we're going to get out of this, man, we need unrestricted money. See, every time Colin hits on the bows, he helps uh, donate back to USF. So that's like, right. My my beloved bows, who are oh, they're a tire fire right now. It's not good. Anyway, um, all right, I gotta go. Cause I, have right. to go te- I have to go speak to some kids at the University of Tampa about um, things because my job is I go to these classes and I tell these kids all the great things about being in technology in Tampa. Um, but it's going to be my first one at UT. 
um, I'll tell them they should all get a football team and, or at least, or go D1. They should play D1, like non football. UT would be, they would, they would crush souls in like the Sun Belt. Dude, you, USF's baseball team would take such a hit if they went D1 baseball. So true. So true. They'd have to upgrade that facility. It's a dump. But like, they win national championships in that dump. So, yeah. All right, have fun. All right, I go. Bye. We talked about right. between you and Colin how the Daily Stampede has <laughs> gotten their donorship to raise seven thousand dollars in two years. Like, just stop and think about that for a SB Nation blog. <laughs> I don't have to tell you, man. Uh, we're just uh, we're a hate blog that doesn't like the university at all. Just shout out to everybody who who listens, reads, and then donates because. I mean, I think even Colin said in the piece, we don't blame you if you don't. We don't blame you feel if you feel jaded, but I mean, it's not going to change. All right, <clears throat> let's uh, on, on to ECU, right? Um, so USF travels up to that trash ass city in uh, North Carolina to take on ECU. Um, unfortunately, they are staying in the AAC. Uh, which is unfortunate because they're terrible and that city should just fall off the face of the earth. Um, just because they're, they're bad people. I'll, I'll say it. ECU just a bunch of bad people. Um, their, their baseball fans are the fucking worst. Absolute worst. Um, but what they did do last week, which was pretty impressive. I think they were down what? 35, three at halftime or something like that to see dot. And then they kind of, pulled it together and made it a competitive game. And I'm worried that that <clears throat> sort of momentum may carry over. They were down 35-6, and they kind of made it a game until the fourth quarter, I guess. Um, they outscored UCF 22-6 to in the second half, which is good. It's just they, they spotted them 35 points in the first half, which was unfortunate. Um, but... They're, they're a lot better than they were last year or even the year before. Uh, their quarterback, was it uh, Holton Aylers? Aylers threw for over 300 yards against uh, UCF. If he doesn't throw for 300 yards and runs for 150 against USF, I'd be shocked. Um, I think he's actually pretty damn good. He's gotten a lot better than when we saw him last year. Um, Seth, you've kind of started running tape on him. I think you're, you've already submitted your story um, yeah. for this week. What have you seen on tape from Holton and the, that ECU offense? Well, I, uh, he seems like he's a pretty good player. He can run, like you said, he can run uh, pretty well. He can throw pretty well. They've let him down a little bit with drops a few times this year. But um, they've also made some good plays for him, too. So they're, they've kind of been inconsistent um, at the skill positions. One thing about him, though, is he turns the ball over a good bit. I've seen a few games where he's fumbled. I know he's thrown – I think he's right now at seven touchdowns, six interceptions. And I know for a fact there's a play he fumbled on the goal line against North Carolina State. So he's probably turned the ball over almost as many times as he scored touchdowns this year. So he's uh, shown flashes of being a really good player, but he's also kind of – hurt them in some senses, just like that young quarterback thing. Um, offensively, I think they have some pretty good skill players. They have some good scheme, but they're not juggernauts by any means. Um, they're in the low or high 80s, low 90s in yards per rush attempt, yards per pass attempt in the country, and it gets worse when you add in um, the fact that they've played two uh, FCS teams that are both under 500, and that's where they've racked up a lot of yardage, uh, in the, especially in the rushing games against those two teams. So I, I don't. It's hard to say. I think that there's obviously going to be some uh, confidence from how they played in the second half against UCF. They did also get the ball in a one yard line after a block punt and scored off that. Um, so I, I don't. This is a game I expect USF to win. Um, I don't think the ECU defense is very good. Uh, they're all right, but they're not exotic like they've seen from like Wisconsin or SMU or Navy, where they're showing kind of these exotic looks and these exotic blitzes and things like that. They're more like a we'll sit and play in base and that type of defense. It's it could be because it's kind of the first year in the system. They're trying to get the fundamentals underneath them, so they don't do anything real exotic. I expect that 
Um, depending on the quarterback situation of USF, if uh, either McLeod's healthy or, you know, basically if you have a healthy quarterback playing uh, at about at least an average level, you should be able to move the ball on them pretty consistently. So this is a game I would expect USF to win. But, you know, I've expected them to win some other games this year and didn't work out. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is definitely a uh, – if Charlie, Charlie gets left in Greenville if he loses this game, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that if he goes 3-5 and five going into a bye week next week and he loses to ECU, there's no doubt in my mind Michael Kelly pulls the trigger regardless. There's – this is so, this is the must the most must win game in USF history since Syracuse 2015 for Willie Taggart. Like it, like halftime Willie Taggart against Syracuse, he was a, he was about to be fired, um, yeah. and it it switched. Um, unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be that kind of switch with Charlie. Even if they do win the game, they're probably going going to win if they win they're four and four going into the bye week and then you have your four toughest games of the season staring you down the down at the face and it four and eight is very likely three nine is quite possible as well um steve what what have you is there any hope that you've seen from either from what you've seen from kirk when he came in uh i think he's thrown like eight passes this year is do you see anything happening with this offense, if it is him um, taking over for a clearly unhealthy Jordan McLeod. Yeah, I um, I did a little bit of extra digging. Uh, I managed to find some film of him when he was at a ASA college in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, his JUCO days and his high school days. And I think the one thing that kind of sets him apart from, from Jordan and a little bit from Blake is he has a really, really strong arm. He, he can really just absolutely sling a pass you know the the few passes that we've seen him throw i think everyone kind of kind of thought the same thing when he threw that uh that pass in the yukon game is holy shit he has a cannon uh, for an arm you know he has a very smooth arm under him uh you know i i think besides the fact that he's six foot i think he could be a pretty decent quarterback um i just i hope that they're planning to start him and they're kind of keeping him under kind of the, the guise of darkness where, you know, they're not telling them because they're not telling the media because they don't want ECU to game plan for him. But I, I think if, if he, he shows those flashes of potential and they keep the offense very basic, I think Rigel can do enough to have USF win this game, but it's a lot of uncertainty, man. It's, it's, it's almost too tough to say, you know, if he comes in that the offense is going to look completely different, it's going to look more dynamic. You know, the receivers are still dropping passes. You know, offensive line are still letting guys go past and, and, and get free hits on the quarterback. So it, it's a toss-up. It, it has to be a perfect storm of everyone doing their job in order for USF to basically succeed, on top of the fact that Kirk has to play well, too. Yep, I agree. Defensively for ECU, there's just kind of one guy that you need to watch out for. Uh, he's caused a lot of havoc. In the backfield this year, it's uh, Kendall Footrell. Sorry if I mispronounce your name, Kendall. I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> I believe he's defensive end. Um, <clears throat> uh, he has 40 tackles, which is good for uh, fifth on the team. He has 12 tackles for loss, which is good for first. And he, ha- he has eight sacks, uh, eight QB hits, and he's recovered a fumble and forced two fumbles. He's the guy you need to uh, watch out for. Uh, yeah, he, he has almost half their – they have 17 sacks as a team. Now, five of those came against, um, I think, Gardner-Webb. But he's got eight of their 17 sacks. Yeah, so he's definitely the guy that uh, USF will be keying on. If if they want to run some read option stuff, I would try to make him be the guy who reads it. Um, if they go to his side or if the, I don't do – they, do they move him around much or is he kind of – you're staying here and just you're you're there? I didn't notice them like flipping the front to, um, and again, it's hard to tell with the, with the TV broadcast if they're going to flip it based on where a tight end lines up or something like that. Um, they seem to stay in the same front and that'll be in my, in the breakdown. They're in the same front. There's like a four, four, two, four, three over front where the three tech and a one tech 
almost every play. And then if they do something different, if they're not in that front, it means they're doing some type of game up front. So they'll widen both defensive tackles out uh, between the guard and tackle on either side. And then they'll run a, you know, like a, st- a stun or a twist with a, with a tackle in exchanging responsibilities. Um, but I didn't see a ton. That's what they were, they were pretty, I guess vanilla would be the term on defense. There wasn't a ton of craziness happening. There was a lot of, this is how we play. We're going to line up and play. And that could be some of that could be just, Hey, this is year one. We're going to make sure you guys understand the fundamentals of the system before we get into crazy stuff. I was about to say, uh, last year, uh, obviously Nate Harvey kind of took ECU into a realm of relevancy, uh, being AAC defensive player of the year. Um, he played opposite of him. And so they basically kept those two on, on a swivel the entire time, but he's still, I mean, last year he still led the, led ECU even with Nate Harvey in quarterback pressures, batted passes. And he was basically second in every other category to Nate Harvey. So you're looking at a guy who was just as good as a guy that's currently playing on New York giants and is, is making a name for himself. So I think, I think he can be absolutely lethal on, on, a, on a Saturday against us. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, uh, ECU really employed the um, wide nine techniques for the defensive ends last year against USF, and it caused the the tackle so much trouble. And we've seen it again this year a little bit, where they'll just they'll widen those defensive ends, and they'll they'll get the angle on on the tackles and kind of still blow by them. And uh, I would look out for that. I think their defense uh, could can do some stuff, um, especially with uh, Fertrell kind of causing havoc up up front. Um, the, the Bulls are going to need to block. They did a decent job last week against Navy in, like, run blocking. It just – there was, like, 15 guys in the box for Navy, it, it felt like, just because they knew Jordan McLeod couldn't throw the ball. Um, so they were just – they were daring him to throw, and it couldn't – just didn't work. I mean, I think Jordan McLeod ended up with like 16 carries or 19 carries for 76 yards. A decent day when you're stacking, you know, eight, eight and nine guys in the box uh, consistently. It just they're they're gonna have to figure out something. And Charlie Strong mentioned it in his uh, press conference uh, this week. The wide receivers need to start making better catches. They they're dropping too many balls. They're not competing for the ball. No one. Uh, he he asked his wide receivers, "When was the last time we made?" a spectacular catch or, you know, won a jump ball. And he referenced that the SMU game where they had two fantastic catches. It's like, we just don't do that here. And uh, Seth, I mean, you've mentioned it multiple times this year. You're just shocked at the lack of athleticism at wide receiver from the yeah. in Florida. Yeah. There's not a lot of explosiveness on the team, especially kind of in that, um, short burst kind of getting in and out of cuts level explosiveness. Um, the guys outside, I think can are probably pretty straight line fast, but you know, especially like a team like Navy are great. You're straight line fast, but now I'm going to play like cover three and play 10 yards off. You're not, you're not going to run by me. So how are you going to break me down? It's that's where I think the biggest problems have been, have been this year. And the guys that do have some explosiveness, like I think uh, Phillips is probably, a, is he a, I mean, you guys know the personnel still better than me because they're using so many different guys. He's probably pretty explosive, one of the more explosive guys, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, they've, I remember, you know, a couple guys, uh, when he first got here, because he came in the spring three years ago, um, mm-hmm. they were kind of impressed by how well he kind of picked up the offense and, uh, showed some bursts. Like he, he would take some of the jet sweeps that they would run. Like, yeah. You only do that with like your fast dudes. And- yeah. So like in the game, you get him one on one. I think, and this was what was the kind of, um, I think we'll, we'll probably show it on the film room uh, later. But I think McLeod checks to a double slant concept against the uh, pressure, and Phillips runs a great route, kills this guy. Uh, McLeod makes a great throw. If he catches it, he might score a touchdown, and that, I think that that point would have made the game twenty one to seven. And this is also with the interception wiped off the board. So if you don't have a stupid penalty, he catches the ball and that's 21 14. It's like, it, you just got to make the plays that come to you. And those guys just, like you said, they're not making the spectacular catches, but they're also not always making the easy ones either. 
Yeah, and you know, I think one of the the big things that we can kind of highlight to show the lack of explosiveness uh, for the USF offense is um, Randall St. Felix averaged twenty point six yards per catch last year. He's at eight point five five. He is your deep threat, and he's averaging under ten yards a catch. That can't happen. Um, Bryce Miller leads the team with 14 catches. Johnny Ford's missed, what, three games? Yep. And he's, he's second on the team in catches with 13. Uh, Mitch is at 13. The wide receivers have not shown up. Uh, you know, we, we love Stanley Clairvaux, but he hasn't, he doesn't have a catch yet this year and he's played quite a bit. Eddie McDoom has like three catches or, I think he has like seven catches for like 60 something yards and I think one was on like a 37 yard catch. Half of his are behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, I think Bryce Miller had three catches last week against Navy for 21 yards, and he had a 20-yard catch. It, like, those kind of things. We that, you, can't, you can't keep doing that and expecting to succeed in this offense, or any offense, frankly. Like, you, no. you saw what SMU did last week to, uh, who was it, Temple? Who did they play? Was it Temple last week? Yeah, you know, Shane Buchel throws puts up like four hundred something yards. I think Prochet had like a hundred, hundred, and then the other dude had like two fifty or something like that. Like that's the kind of explosiveness you'd expect from a Florida-based team that you're just not getting, and it's it's shocking to see how far that the that receiving room has fallen since you know MVS, Rodney Adams, Tyree McCants. Hell, even I mean, Tarnell Solomon couldn't catch a cold, but he would still be able to beat his man off the ball. I have a question for you. What's up? Is that personnel, scheme, or coaching, or a combination? <laughs> uh, so I asked that to Charlie Strungham uh, on Monday, and he he he, uh, he he didn't really punt the question. Um, but I I gave him an out, and I I, I felt bad about the question because it, it was kind of well I wasn't trying to set him up but it, it, it could be uh, misconstrued that way for sure because um, personally I mean we all know Charlie Williams from when he was with the Bucks and how the Bucks had the worst wide receivers in the league so I I don't know if we flash forward 20 years what the big difference is it just it, it seems to be a problem. Uh, drops have been a very big issue the last two years. Uh, Darnell Solomon again could not catch a cold last year, um, and it's just one of those things. It you, know, you can you can be bad and still be still catch the ball sometimes, but these guys are just they're they're bad. They're not explosive and they're not catching the ball. It's not a good uh, not a good combination. <laughs> it, it, it truly it is not. Like I I think I may have better hands than some of the guys on the team. I got I mean I got decent hands. I'm not I'm pretty good at it. But that's besides the, I'm just kidding. I know I do not have better hands than any person on that team. They would if put a jugs machine in front of me. I'm not catching a single one. I think I think it's it's mostly kind of. I'd say the it's personnel. I mean, you don't like to kill kids, but it's that you know you got your your best receiver is a walk on transfer from Southeastern, and you're in the state of Florida. You know, like what's happening? I, I I know of like two or three kids that ended up going to lower levels that are from the area. You know, that were smaller, um, shorter guys, but they were fast and explosive, and they didn't get recruited because they were smaller and shorter. Well, now, um, you know, one of them is like on an NFL roster right now, or at least was in training camps and things like that, and. He ended up going to like Samford, and so there, there's like, it's I think it's a recruiting. You could find some. There's guys all over this area of Florida. If you need fast and explosive, you're in the right spot. You just got to go out and get them. Yeah, I mean, there's talent all over the place, and I think that's kind of been the the big problem is you're not getting the right guys in, or you're either not coaching them up, or they come in pretty good. But you're not you're not getting them to that next level, so they either you know plateau or de- you know decline because they're you got you can you're either getting better or you're getting worse, right? 
What's fascinating is so many of the, if you just look through the recruiting classes of the past three, four years, the, the top guy, uh, and how many of them end up switching positions? Or, I mean, a lot transferred out, but, I mean, a lot of your offensive weapons who you recruited as offensive weapons then switch to linebacker or switch to defensive back. And then you go along and say, okay, well, where's your, where's your depth chart? I mean, Xavier Weaver looks great. He's made a couple drops, but he looks great as a true freshman. Yeah, I, I wonder if they've ever if they've contemplated putting Zion back at wide uh, back wide receiver. I know I think he <clears throat> he felt more comfortable at DB. Um, so maybe but, they they it's like well, there's really no point. I mean, he's right. not getting a lot of run except except for on like special teams. Last year, he was your top receiver. Not the this class, but the previous class. Your top receiver recruit got some run in and the offense, and then switches over. And yeah. it's. I was about to say, I, I do think that there's a lot of good young potential. And even, you know, I, I hate looking ahead this far, but even looking ahead to the next recruiting class, you know, given that these guys stay, I think, you know, we have one name that I think we kind of forgot about in, in the whole mess of things at the beginning of the season was Latrell Williams. Um, you know, I, I think he was one of those difference maker kind of guys that we could have had at wide receiver uh, just from the things that we heard about him and, and the film that we had on him. Uh, I think he, he had the speed, he had the route running abilities that we we're kind of sorely missing. And even, you know, some of the young guys stepping up at some of the new bases we have, you know, we mentioned Xavier Bieber. Uh, I've, I've seen a few good, you know, plays out of Kevin Perlet. I, I just, the young if there's something to look forward to, it's that there's still young guys getting reps and new faces there, and it's it's got to get better next year because it, it's not going to fix itself this season. I mean, it's impossible. Once you get these once you get these wide receivers in this group of struggling, you either got to have a mental fortitude of Fort Knox to get yourself out of it, or shit, run the ball more. <laughs> yeah, I think some of it is just. Guys, it's uh, we've said it a few times, but being recruited to a different system, I think they wanted those height, weight, straight line, speed kind of freaks. Um, is what they prefer the big guys on the outside to go up and get play action shots, I'd imagine, and that kind of stuff. Whereas now they want guys that can kind of get in and out of routes and and understand if I got a converter out here and being able to adjust on the fly. So being having some kind of uh, movement skills, not necessarily just straight line speaking, but being able to get in and out of cuts and things like that. So it's kind of a different skill set that's being required. I think they're kind of make, trying to make do as best they can. That's why you're seeing a guy like Bryce Miller fly up the depth chart when, you know, probably going into spring. It would have been like, you know, it wouldn't have even given him a second thought, I'd imagine. So, you know, they had a few, they have a few guys that can kind of make that stuff happen and they're trying to get them the ball. It's just not, um, working out quite as well as they'd hoped, I'm sure. And um, to, to also kind of add on that is, I know people have voiced their opinion about Mitchell Wilcox not getting as many receptions, but, I mean, he's such a valuable asset blocking on offensive line and, and getting our quarterbacks at least another half second. I, it sucks, but he's being utilized the right way right now. And I think I think targets are misleading because yeah. and we'll show it in the film room. There was probably three or four plays where he just based on what it looks like the play call where I'd imagine he was the guy they designed the play to go to. And either Navy came out in a different coverage than they usually had in the situation or the quarterback just went to a backside throw instead of working the front side where he would have had Mitch open for a ball. So. You know, you look at the stat sheet and everyone says, oh, he's only got one target. What are they doing? But then you look at the game and they're designing plays to get him open. They're kind of designed for him. The quarterback's going somewhere else or there have been times in the past where the quarterback didn't have enough time to get to him. So I don't think it's a issue of they don't understand that they need to get him the ball. They're trying to scheme it up for him. But then also there's also the fact, like you said, that sometimes if you want to take those vertical shots, you have to keep him in so we can – get time to get the uh, throws off. So that's kind of a two double edged sword with him. You can get him out and force the ball. I mean, they could get, they could target him 10 times and throw seven interceptions. Would that make people happy? <laughs> and I mean, to add that defensive coordinators know Mitchell Wilcox is good and they, they zone in on that. Yes. I mean, if you looked, if you looked at USS receivers, why wouldn't you 
Why would you why, not? Why, why, yeah, why, yeah. Why would you not try to take away Wilcox? And they still have been able to get him open a lot. He just yeah. hasn't always gotten the ball. But he's, um, you know, shit. Best cover guy usually covers Wilcox when he's lined up at tight end. Like they, 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 he gets paid special attention too. Um, yeah. So again, uh, must win for USF uh, for Charlie Strong especially. Um, I think that's kind of vital. And I mean, let's let's move on to some sports we're actually decent at. Um, so men's soccer played two games last week. Um, they dropped dropped one three uh, one to Temple, which was unfortunate. And then the absolute heartbreaker was uh, going up two nothing against number eleven FIU, and then ending up with a two two draw. Uh, they allowed two goals in ninety seconds, and that was it. And uh, it's tough. Uh, that would have been a huge boost uh, to the Bulls' resume because uh, FIU is pretty damn good, as their ranking indicates. Um, unfortunate. Uh, this Saturday they play uh, UCF yeah. at seven. Mm-hmm. Yep, at, at Corbett. Cor- at Corbett. <clears throat> so either you're at the, the watch party, and you can—I mean, if you come, you know, you can eat and be merry, and then go to the game. Just make sure you uh, drop your ticket into uh, the little bowl for us to, you know, qualify for our twenty percent uh, kickback, and then go to the game, watch them play, uh, and then uh, women's soccer. Uh, they won their fourth game in a row after defeating Temple at Corbett on Sunday, which was senior day. Uh, they honored five seniors, uh, Rebecca Anderson, Brianna uh, Blethen, Aubrey McGrath, Andrea Hochstotter, and yep. the GOAT, Evelyn Vienne. Uh, Evelyn set the American Athletic Conference uh, career goal record with her 62nd goal. Um, and and actually... As we're talking, she uh, actually scored in the third minute against this game that they're playing against uh, Cincinnati. But that's giving you guys a, a nice little time set for when we're recording this. But she yep. scored in the third minute. So she's up to 63 career goals. And I'd be hard-pressed to say she's probably not going to score a few more this year. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably accurate there. Uh, there's still, like, three games left that just, like, random. Like, their senior day was just super early this year for some reason. Um yeah, the soccer's pretty good. Uh, men's golf had an epic, epic tournament uh, over, I think it was, what, early, late last week or something like that. They took uh, Notre Dame to, like, the wire. Uh, they lost. They they came in second in the tournament. Uh, the final scores for the team totals was uh, Notre Dame shot 43 under par. USF shot 42 under par. And they were tied going into the 18th hole. Uh, tied for the, the team win and the individual win. Um, Alvin Bergstrom, uh, the sophomore from Sweden, uh, just a ridiculous day. I mean, for everyone. Steve Bradley really has that <clears throat> program humming. Uh, it's going to be a fun season in the spring when, you know, everything starts to ramp up. Uh, men's and women's basketball starts in like 10 days. Thank in God. F- in five Ooh, days. Buddy, who's excited? In five days, we have a men's uh, exhibition against St. Leo. And then. Uh, there's a doubleheader uh, November 5th, uh, season opening doubleheader at the Foam Dome. Uh, the women play JU at 5.30, and the men play Arkansas Pine Bluff at 8 o'clock. Um, I think Arkansas Pine Bluff's on ESPN3. Uh, I don't think the women's game's televised. But it may, it may be Bulls Vision. I don't know when. Yeah, it's probably Bulls Vision. They'll, they'll probably air it on Bulls Vision or something. Uh, but those two teams are going to be fantastic. I, I'm hearing that there's a uh, <clears throat> scrimmage of sorts on this Saturday for the women's team. Um, unconfirmed rumors of that. I couldn't even tell you the team. Um, but they can't or won't. I, I honestly, I don't. I don't want to blow up their spot. Um, but there, there definitely, maybe, probably, I don't know. Maybe a uh, scrimmage uh, this weekend for the women's team. And I'm not even sure where it is. It could be home. It could be on the road. But there's definitely a scrimmage. Probably. Probably. I don't know. Maybe. We'll find out on Saturday. Uh, but the, please, season tickets are so cheap for men's and women's basketball. I think you can get a box uh, for both this season. It's going to be a lot of fun. We always kind of blow out our coverage, and we're kind of going to do it again this year because, the, I mean, they're, they're going to be so good. I cannot – 
I cannot emphasize this enough how good they are going to be. Um, I think we may even get Seth into basketball at this point. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, my my cousin is a uh, is is uh, he coaches at IMG. They won a national championship last year. I'll have to hit him up for some tips. Oh, absolutely. I mean, oh, if, he, if they got, if they got any recruits, um, oh, they got a. I think they got a few of those. <laughs> Send them yeah. away. I'll I'll, uh, I'll point him in the right direction. Um, do they like uh, unsequential? I'm, I'm assuming they don't want uh, sequential bills, uh, unmarked envelope or. I think as long as they're unmarked U.S. currency. Okay. Do they, take, do they take Bitcoin? They know they're young. They probably do. All right. We'll, we'll look into them. Keep your, yeah. keep your account private. Cash app that bit. There you go. Um, so that's it. I think that's it uh, for us. Uh, be sure to come out to the uh, beefs on McDill in South Tampa on Saturday around like 3. We'll be out there having fun. Games at 345. Please come out. Proceeds to the Daily Stampede so we can send people on the road. Um, this is a labor of love. I cannot emphasize this enough. We do this with our own money. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And then, uh, once again, this is the Bluminati Podcast, sponsored by Matrix Hormones, 813-333-2226. Again, Matrix Hormones, 813-333-2226. And uh, that's it from us. Cobbles. Go Bulls. Darmac Charlie Strong. Go Go Bulls. Bulls.